Hey guys, it's Savannah. Long time no see. Normally I have more time to sit and edit episodes and can get them published sooner than I have this one, but life happens sometimes and days seem to blur together. While the next episode is one of my longer projects, it doesn't take away from the heart of the story. A couple things. First, the audio gets pretty rough at different points. We recorded this episode over a span of two nights, trying to mess with Wi-Fi settings and cellular service, and what you're about to hear is the best of what we could record. Please be patient. Second, this episode has some triggering words and topics. If you're a survivor of domestic violence, please approach this episode with caution and make sure to take breaks as needed. I almost started crying at different points of our call, not because the things she was talking about was triggering for me, but just that I can't believe one person has endured so much and still has a positive outlook. Luckily, she survived her situation and is here with a message for anyone who may be going through something similar. Let's meet Elizabeth. My name is Elizabeth, and I am a mom of six children, and I am a survivor of domestic violence. Um, I guess really to understand my story, I have to give a little bit of a backstory to my life. Um, So when I grew up, I was raised in a very, very strict home with parents that um, they themselves were in a toxic relationship with each other. Um, I don't recall any physical abuse between the two of them, but, you know, I have a lot of memories of them screaming, yelling, nights where my dad would walk away and leave, and all of us kids would stay up at night crying, wondering, you know, if my dad was ever going to come back. Um, so... I think, you know, these issues with my parents' um, relationship definitely play into my own issues, Um, but I have dealt with depression and anxiety issues ever since I can remember. Um, When I was about 14 or 15, my parents discovered that I had stopped eating, basically. Um, I had a boy at school make a comment on my weight. And I mean, at the time I was like 105 pounds soaking wet. So, um, I don't know why I let it bother me, but I had a lot of self-esteem issues that were ongoing prior to this. So that just kind of compounded the issue and I'd have a glass of milk for breakfast and, and skip lunch entirely. I'd go home and I'd eat like a minimal amount of dinner. So my parents didn't um, get suspicious, but, um, eventually, you know, they, they caught on to what I was doing. And, um, at this point they went through all of my belongings in my room. They found, um, a notebook that I had where I had written out some poetry that was very dark and some of it was suicidal. Um, but they didn't discover at that time that I was also cutting myself with a razor blade and um, up on the tops of my arms where I could hide it with what I was wearing. Um, but after they discovered, you know, the, the eating disorder and the poetry, they took me to see a therapist. Um, they only took me to see this therapist one time. Um, when I had talked to the therapist, he kind of explained to me, 
his theory of crap rolling downhill. Um, he told me that like my parents would have their own issues with their boss at work or whatever, and they come home in a bad mood and they take it out on whoever's underneath them. And I was at the bottom of the totem pole and all the crap was rolling down to me. And um, so after we had our talk about things, he went and talked to my parents and my parents did not like what he had to say at all. They thought he was wrong. He wanted me to be on a couple different medications um, for my depression and my parents flat out refused. They did not think that I needed to be on medication. Um, so those scripts were never filled. And because my parents didn't like what he had to say, they never took me back. Um, they just kind of figured that they could keep an eye on me themselves and things would be just fine. So, you know, I, my relationship with my parents was always kind of strained and, you know, I don't, I don't think of myself as like ever being a bad kid. I was never into drinking or doing drugs. I never missed my curfew. My grades were always, you know, pretty decent. And, but like, I was always in trouble with my parents for one thing or another. And that definitely, um, had an impact on my mental health and, um, made it to where like home life was kind of a hostile environment. Um, so going forward a few years when I was a, long, uh, a young adult, I continued to struggle with depression and self-esteem issues. Um, I turned towards relationships with boys as a, um, a way to feel validated and loved. And, you know, looking back now, I see that as an like extremely unhealthy way to deal with my issues. But uh, I had reached a critical point at that part of my life with my mental health. And I was cutting myself even worse than before because, you know, I have a failed relationship and just life in general wasn't going the way I wanted it to. And I was really struggling. Um, it was after a couple of pretty significant failed relationships that I hit an all time low mentally. And that's the first time that I met my ex-husband. We actually met online and had talked for a couple months before we met in person. But um, to me, from the get-go, he just seemed like a knight in shining armor. And um, we had just conversations about life and we had a lot of things in common. He was a parent at the time. He had two kids from previous relationships. And he talked a lot about those relationships and why they had failed. And, um, you know, he, he just knew exactly the words to say to make me feel comfortable and at ease and, and you know, gave me hope um, and kind of, as a side note here, um, I've learned since that men like him, um, men who are serial abusers and narcissists, they prey on women who are dealing with low self-esteem or dealing with depression. And um, they 
they prey on these women like predators and um, you know, because they think women with low self-esteem will be easier to control. So um, we hadn't known each other very long at all before deciding that we were going to get married. It was a very spur of the moment decision. And, you know, at the time I was 19, very young and dumb. um, And I just figured, you know, it was going to solve a lot of my problems, (laughs) which was very not smart. Were there any red flags prior to you guys getting married of him being a narcissist or anything? Um, to be really honest, we didn't know each other for very long um, beforehand. So there weren't a lot of red flags that I picked up on. But like I said, like I was 19 and very naive. And I'm sure like looking back, you can see, oh, this guy has two children with two different women. And he's you know, is making up these stories about how these women were terrible and awful to him. And maybe, you know, he would question that a little bit. Yeah. So it definitely could be age related with you being so young, you might not have really even known what the narcissistic signs were. Yeah, for sure. Do you think that if you had seen a healthy marriage from your parents, it would have influenced you falling for a man who has abusive tendencies? Um. I definitely think it didn't help my parents not, you know, having a good relationship and, you know, um, they didn't know how to deal with each other healthy. They didn't know how to deal with their children healthy. You know, I think it was just compounded issues. So it definitely had something to do with it there. How how long were you married to your first husband? Um, about two and a half years. Okay. How long into the marriage did things start spiraling? So the very first indicator that there was something wrong was actually on our wedding night. Um, We had gone to bed and, you know, I woke up to him just completely enraged and turned out he had gotten on to my social media profile and he had gotten onto my cell phone and he had seen conversations that I had had in the past with ex-boyfriends or friends of mine from high school that were male and he was completely furious. He told me I was a liar. Um, He called me all kinds of horrific names that I am not going to repeat, but um, told me that I hadn't been honest with him about my past relationships. Um, but in reality, like it wasn't even a subject that we had touched on at all before that night. And, you know, if he had asked me, I'm an open book, you know, I'm not going to hide things from you. And I didn't think it mattered because all of it was prior to me knowing him. Mm -hmm. Um, but he, you know, obviously had different feelings on the matter. And that night, like he spent the entire night yelling at me and telling me what a piece of crap I was um and I just remember lying awake after things had finally calmed down enough for him to go to bed and I just sat there thinking like holy crap I made a huge mistake and I don't know what to do next Mm -hmm. but the next day you know he was he was still pretty upset and angry and 
he was ignoring me like completely like I didn't exist. And, um, when I decided, okay, well, I'm not going to put up with this. I'm going to leave. He stole my car keys and he hid them from me. Um, and I couldn't leave. I'm like, you know, I'm too far away from any of my family to walk or whatever. But, um, we had a huge blow up argument again and, you know, eventually things diffused and, um, and they tell you with domestic violence that things go in a cycle. Like there's, there's a honeymoon phase where everything is wonderful and great. And they, you know, are apologizing profusely. They're buying you gifts. They're doing everything they can to make you happy. And then, you know, it just starts to slowly get worse and worse until the blow up hits again. And then it starts all over. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that blow up fight, um, things were kind of just swept up under the rug. He pretended like nothing ever happened. Things are fine. And in my own head, I was wishing that, you know, this is the one time, th- one time thing and things will be better. And, you know, it's just, we're still getting to know each other and we're going to have arguments, but things will be okay. And, um, that's, you know, where I was very, very wrong with my thinking because things did not, um, get better. Um, so on a typical basis, we'd have an argument at least once every two weeks. Sometimes it was more frequent than that. Um, but it it would always start over something small and I couldn't even tell you what most of the arguments even started over. But um, my ex had a very short fuse. And um, every time we get into an argument, he would immediately just start screaming at me. Um, He'd call me a slut. He'd call me a whore. He'd call me every disgusting, horrible name you can think of and throw it in my face. Um, He, um, so usually during this, like I would make, um, an attempt to try to call someone, but during the course of our marriage, I can't tell you how many of my cell phones he broke. He would take them from me and smash them or hide them. He would rip phone cords out of the wall so I couldn't call for help. Um, he'd take and hide my shoes. He'd steal my wallet with my IDs and my credit cards. Um, and he would also physically restrain me from being able to leave. Um, So if I succeeded in being able to leave, he would follow me either on foot or in his car. Um, But if no one else was around, he would grab a hold of me. He would spit on me. And like still to this day, when I hear someone hawk a loogie, I gag. And it's just cringeworthy (laughs) it's something I still struggle with um that's such a dehumanizing thing to do to a person yeah and I don't like my kids you know sometimes they're little and they'll they'll spit at someone I'm like we don't ever spit at anyone and that's like a huge I guess trigger for me (laughs) I'm like we don't spit yeah for sure so um he he would tell me that I was being hysterical that I was being crazy. I was acting crazy. Um, 
I needed to go back home and calm down before making any big decisions. Um, he promised to take me wherever I wanted to go if I got in the car with him or whatever. And, you know, so he was either physically restraining me, screaming at me or making false promises that he would, you know, let me go where I wanted to go if I just came in and calmed down or whatever. But it always ended up with me deciding to go back because I just couldn't deal with sitting there having him scream at me and spit on me and humiliate me. Um, so, so yeah. <laughs> so when he said that he would get better or things would calm down or whatever, as long as you came back with him, was that the case when you went home were things a little calmer? Um, sometimes they, they would get a little calmer, you know, or he'd, he would give me space for a short time. Um, but it always was like, he would act like absolutely nothing happened and we didn't talk about it. Like it's like the situation never happened. It was all swept under the rug every single time. Um, so a couple months after we were first married, um, we got into a pretty big, big argument. Um, I attempted to leave and he stood in front of the door, refusing to let me get through the door. Um, anytime I got close, he would push me away and, um, we were living with his parents at the time. I don't know where they were at this specific incident, but they weren't home. Um, I tried to run towards the back door after unsuccessfully making it out the front door and he ran and blocked me from the back door. So then I decided to run into his parents' bedroom because they had a sliding glass door in their bedroom and I'm like, well, Hopefully I can make it there before he can and I can get out the door. But um, he caught me about halfway through his parents' bedroom, grabbed a hold of me, slammed me onto the floor, which, you know, hit my shoulder into his parents' bedpost, leaving a pretty decent sized bruise. And he sat on me, pinning my arms down and refusing to let me leave the house until I promised that I would calm down and not leave. Um, Another instance um, that happened around the same time we had gotten into an argument, I tried to call for help. He ripped all the phone cords out of the wall, and then he locked himself in the bathroom with my cell phone and my wallet, and he also had a knife. Um, he told me he was going to kill himself if I left with the knife that he was locked in the bathroom with. And so, like, terrified, I'm like, you know, I can't have him kill himself and it be on me. I, you know, was running through the house trying to find a phone that he hadn't managed to disable. And um, I couldn't find anything. So I ran to the neighbor's house and I knocked on the door and waited and waited, but nobody was home. So I went back to the house and I think I was able to plug one of the phones back into the wall and I, I called his mom. and. Um, his mom told me, she was like, well, stay where you are. We'll come home. And did you call the police? And I was like, well, no, you're the first person that I called. Well, she was, she was more concerned with whether or not I had called the police than if everything was okay. If I was okay, if he was okay, she just didn't want the police showing up at her home. And that's, you know, kind of how her attitude was 
every time there was an issue um, with her son and I, basically the whole time we were married. Why was she more concerned about the appearance of the cops than her own son's safety? Um, honestly, I don't know. She was a huge enabler for him. Um, anytime he got into trouble, they were the ones paying for his attorney or bailing him out of jail or paying for his rent because he blew all of his entire paycheck on video games and fast food. Um, I, I don't understand the mentality there at all, but even when he would do things to her, like she would get fed up and leave, he'd go out and he'd spit on her car window. And there was never any consequences for his behavior. And it's just like looking back, it's disgusting. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I never understood the dynamic between him and his mom. So I know you had said that your first like blow up with him was your wedding night, but things hadn't gotten really physical at that point. How long into your marriage um, did you know, like, this is now a dangerous situation and I'm now afraid for my life? Um, it was probably that day where I tried to leave and he grabbed me and pinned me on the floor um, where I was like, you know, now he is putting his hands on me and, you know, it is, it, it isn't a safe situation, but before then it hadn't really got physical is more just the verbal and emotional abuse. And um, looking back, I think I could have probably pressed charges for him for false imprisonment for not letting me leave. But I, you know, like I said, I was young and dumb and I had no idea that that was even a thing <laughs> at that point in my life. I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know that he could be in trouble for that. So it kind of sounds like you lived in fight or flight mode for a while. Yeah. And usually, um, it was more to me like flight, like try to get out of the situation. But I was always physically kept from being able to do that. And, um, you know, the, the mental side of this too, during all this, you know, my ex-husband would tell me that I had no friends, that I had no family, um, that everyone hated me. I had nowhere to go. Um, I, nobody would want me if I left and tried to find someone else. Um, he alienated me from my friends and my family. He actually got onto my social media accounts and was sending messages pretending to be me to my friends saying horrible, hateful, awful things to them. And so I lost a lot of friends because of that. And, um, you know, still to this day, there's people I don't talk to because of what he did. And, you know, that's another thing that abusers typically do is they want to cut you off from your friends and family. So you have nowhere else to go. And so you don't have people checking in on you to see what's going on. Yeah. If you don't have a support system, then you have to rely on him. Yeah. And he used tactics like he would ignore me for days on end after an argument and like completely act like I wasn't even there 
And that, I don't know, like to somebody who has self-esteem and mental health issues being completely ignored like that is, it's really hard to deal with. And, you know, he'd, he'd use tactics, like he'd take things that meant a lot to me, like artwork that I had made and he would destroy it. He used his kids as a leverage against me um, because their other parents weren't the best situation either. And he'd tell me, well, if I get in trouble for this, then my kids are going to go to a worse situation and that's your fault. And, you know, I didn't want these kids ending up in a bad situation either. At least I knew with their dad, like their dad wasn't physically harming them. But did you have a good relationship with the kids? Yes, I did. Um, so when we got married, I immediately became their like main caregiver. And um, I've always loved kids. I've always wanted to be a mom. That was one of my biggest goals in life. And so, you know, I loved these kids like they were my own. And um, not to say that there weren't ever any issues because there was an episode of domestic violence. And that was the first one that I actually turned him in for that, um, that kind of stemmed from an argument we had about his kids. Um, so this was about five months or so after we had gotten married and his oldest daughter, um, she was flat out refusing to listen, listen to me. And, um, she was talking back, she was being rude. And I asked my ex-husband for help because I, you know, I'm just stepping into this role as a stepmom. And, and I didn't really feel it was my place to discipline her at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of laughed in my, my face and thought it was funny that his daughter was disrespecting me. And, you know, so we got into a heated conversation and things got worse. Um, he started screaming at me again. Um, I tried to leave our apartment because we had one door in and out of the apartment. We had a sliding glass door that led to the, the balcony, but there wasn't an exit from the balcony unless he wanted to jump off from the balcony to the, the main floor. But he blocked me from being able to leave. And I felt like I was in danger with him. So I went into our bedroom and I closed our closet door and I stacked a bunch of Rubbermaid tubs in front of the door trying to block him from being able to get in there because I was scared of him. And, you know, I knew I needed some space to get away. We both needed to calm down. Um, He came in and was angry when he couldn't get the door open. So he was like, well, fine. And he put the TV stand and the TV in front of the closet door. And at that point, I didn't care because I was like, well, good, you know, made it harder for him to get in here to me. And um, he kept coming, banging on the door, asking me what I was doing. And I told him, well, I'm sitting in here and I am drawing with my calligraphy pen. I'm just trying to calm down and give you some time to calm down. You won't let me leave. So I created some space for myself. Well, at one point he 
managed to get into the closet. And I asked him to leave or let me leave. And he refused to do either one of those things. Um, he stood in front of the door, blocking me into the closet. And I tried to get past him. He grabbed both of my thighs and he squeezed them as hard as he could until there were literal handprint bruises on both of my thighs and my inner thighs. And then he started hitting me and grabbed my right arm, twisted it behind my back and told me that if I didn't stop trying to get away from him, he was going to break my arm. And I didn't quit struggling until I heard a pop in my wrist. And, you know, I something had happened that wasn't good with my wrist. So anyway, at that point, he said, he told me, okay, well, if you promise to go sit in the bedroom and calm down and not try to leave, I'll let you out of the closet. So I said, okay, fine. I went and sat on the bed, didn't try to leave anymore. But a little while later, he came in and checked on me. And at that point, like my wrist was swollen and I had a bruise on my, on my arm. Um, and I told him, I think I need to go and get an x-ray. And he said, yeah, I agree. But you're going to have to take yourself because the kids are in bed sleeping and I'm not going to wake them up to, take to the ER. And um, so I, I said, okay. And uh, he told me, you've got to come up with a story to tell them so, um, so that I don't, I don't get my kids taken away from me. And so I went to the ER and they did the x-ray. and. Um, the doctor came in and told me that I had a hairline fracture and asked me what had happened. And I told him that I had fallen while skateboarding. And I'm not sure if the doctor kind of had some suspicions that my story wasn't truthful, but he said, well, if you fell, then you probably have other injuries and we need to check you. But I refused because I knew, you know, if they checked me over, they're going to find the handprints on my legs. And um, so I said, no, I'm fine. I'm not hurt anywhere else, just um, my wrist. Well, the whole time that I was in the ER, I kept getting phone calls from my ex-husband. And he never, you know, called to see how I was doing or what the doctor said. It was always to make sure that I hadn't what happened. And um, the next day, even when we had gone to see his family, he told his parents that I had hurt my wrist moving furniture. And, you know, he just kind of at that point pretended like nothing had happened and things were fine. Um, a few days after that incident, and we got into another argument. Um, I went back to our bedroom. I threw a necklace out into the hallway because I was frustrated. And no one was down the hallway. I wasn't intending on hurting anybody or anything. I was just upset. Um, well, he came in screaming at me, telling me I was acting like a crazy person and that I needed to leave. And I told him, fine, I'm going to pack some of my stuff and I'll, I'll leave. Um, so I went into the bathroom to grab some of my like toiletries and things to pack in and came in and started slamming me between the door and the wall in the bathroom, screaming at me that 
I needed to leave right now. And I told them, well, can I please just give you my belongings and then I'll, I'll be gone. Um, he didn't want to let me have any time to get my stuff. So he told me he's going to take my purse. He's going to cut up my credit cards. And he, um, he grabbed my keys out of my purse and chucked them down the stairs outside and told me, well, I guess you better go get your keys before somebody comes and takes them. So, um, I went to go grab my keys and he locked the door to the apartment and I didn't have my apartment key. At that point, I decided I had enough. I, um, went to grab the statement from the hospital and I decided that I was going to the police department. Um, we lived about, I don't know, a mile and a half or two from the police department. So it wasn't outrageous for me to walk there. Um, I hadn't been gone very long before I noticed that he was following me in his car. He came up to me, rolled the window down, screaming at me, telling me, you know, I couldn't turn him in because if I did lose his kids and it was, it would be my fault. And he followed me up until the point that we reached the parking lot of the police department. And then I guess at that point he realized, you know, that I was serious and that I wasn't turning around. And so he left. Um, I went in, into the police department and I told him what had happened with a disagreement um, a few days prior. And I gave them a copy of my statement from the hospital. Um, it took pictures of the bruises that he had left on my legs. Um, but they told me that because the incident had occurred more than 24 hours previous, they couldn't arrest him at that time. So um, I had a police officer escort me back to our apartment. I collected some of my things and um, called my parents and I went to go stay with my parents during that time. Um, so that whole week, because it ended up being only about a week that I left um, while I was at my mom and dad's house, his mom and him repeatedly called me, left messages on my voicemail. Um, he kept coming by my parents' house, standing outside the window yelling for me because my parents weren't gonna let me talk to him. He kept you know, saying that he would go do counseling with me, that things were gonna change. Um, he promised he'd be better, we'd go to church. And um, things with my parents while I was staying there were not good. My mom, you know, again, continued to make it a hostile living environment for me to be in. She was angry at me about the whole situation. And we had gotten into an argument one night about some credit cards that my ex-husband had taken out in my name. And, you know, now we're maxed out and not being paid. And... You know, she put all the blame on me. We got into a huge fight about it. And, you know, I just, I looked at it as, well, I have two crappy situations here. And I can choose which crappy situation I'm going to stay in. And I was hoping that my ex would get his act together. And that some counseling and things would help us 
So I decided to take another chance and left my parents and moved back in with my ex-husband. So um, after I moved back, things seemed like they were getting better for a while. Um, you know, it was the whole cycle of abuse starting over again. And um, when we had, my ex ended up having a court date for the report that I filed. And um, he had an attorney that his parents paid for, for his court date. Well, his attorney suggested that, you know, we start going to counseling together. And um, so this is, this is the pretty like sick and twisted part of it here. The attorney, the attorney wanted me to go get a mental health evaluation to try to blame or to place some of the blame of that incident on me. Um, they wanted to say that my ex had only gone into the closet to check on me because I had a prior history of depression and hurting myself. Um, so the lady who did my mental health evaluation told me that I had two characteristics of borderline personality disorder, but she also explained that most people have at least a few of those characteristics and that you needed at least five of them to be diagnosed as having borderline personality disorder. However, you know, they still tried to use this to my ex's advantage in court, you know, saying, oh, she has borderline personality traits and characteristics. Um, and so after his court, they decided to offer him a plea deal. And they said that if he took a course um, on the effects of violence on children and a 14-week anger management course, and if he, you know, continued to go to marriage counseling, that they would drop it down to disturbing the peace. And um, eventually it could be even knocked off his record entirely so that no one, including myself, could ever go back and open it up and take him back to court over it. And he decided. You know, he wasn't going to get a better deal there, so he took the plea agreement. Um, so, about a month and a half after I had moved back, I found out that I was pregnant. Um, we weren't trying, but I had gone off my birth control after I had left him. And it was just a small enough window of not being on birth control for me to get pregnant. And um, when I found out, I was absolutely ter terrified. Um, my ex did not want to have any more children, and he was not happy with the fact that I was pregnant. Um, anytime we'd have even the slightest argument after that, he would say things to me like, oh, I bet the baby's not even mine. Um, he'd tell me, I hope you have a miscarriage. He would say, I don't want anything to do with you or the baby. Um, and one time during an argument, he even told me that if he could get away with it, he would push me down the stairs in the hopes that I'd have a miscarriage. And um, anytime we got into a fight or argument, he would just, you know, berate and belittle and blame me 
for being pregnant in the first place. Um, so when I was about three months pregnant, we got into one of our typical arguments that quickly got out of hand. Um, he started threatening to kill my birds. I had a couple of pet birds and he would go over and rattle the cage and tell me he was going to snap my bird's neck. Um, again, he started with like the spitting and things and I smacked him in the hopes that he would stop spitting on me. And instead he hit me back and then punched me directly in the rib cage. Um, that really shocked me at that point. So I, you know, just stopped and backed off and kind of pretended to calm down and in the hopes that, you know, he would go away <laughs> and leave me alone. Um, so he went to the bathroom a few minutes after, you know, things had kind of settled a little, a little bit. And, um, I grabbed my bird cage and I took off. I was scared, you know, if he was willing to punch me in the ribs when I was three months pregnant and he kept making threats about, you know, wanting me to miscarry. I didn't know like what he would be capable of next. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't take him long, long to figure out, you know, that I had taken off out the door. So he came running after me. Um, he kicked the birdcage out of my hands and, um, causing it to break open. And one of my birds had gotten loose. Luckily for me, though, some people were coming back from the pool at our apartment complex at that time. So they were walking towards the direction of where, um, where we were standing and they kind of realized something was going on. And my ex was like, oh crap you know, someone's witnessing what's going on. So he turned around and ran back into the apartment. Will these people help me catch my bird and put her back in her cage? Um, and so I just, I said, thanks and kept walking. Well, it didn't take long for my ex again to get in the car and start following me. And um, at this point, like he wasn't yelling at me. He was out the window saying, Hey, it's cold. It's dark. You need to come get in the car. You're pregnant. This isn't good for the baby, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it wasn't good for me to be so upset. And, you know, at that point I was scared. I didn't know where I was even going at that point. And so I decided, okay fine, I'll get in the car and we'll go back home. Um, a couple days later, we had another counseling appointment and he pulled me aside beforehand and said, hey, we shouldn't mention what happened to the marriage counselor. And, you know, continued on pretending that everything was fine and happy and going well. Um, you know, that was definitely not the first or only argument we had while I was pregnant. Um, we had many, many more. And um, at one point, he, so he wasn't able to hold down a job for very long. 
And he didn't allow me to hold down a job for very long because he was very jealous and controlling. Anytime I had a job, he would sabotage it. And um, because of that, I didn't have health insurance. And I had worked my butt off jumping through all these hoops in order to get Medicaid so that could cover my pregnancy. And, you know, so that I'd be able to go see a doctor. And um, anyway, it took, like I said, months of jumping through hoops to be able to even get approved for Medicaid. Well, I had, when I finally got the Medicaid card, he stole it from me. And um, at first he was joking, you know, messing around, hiding it from me. But then when I got upset, he got angry and he, bent it in half until it broke you know he just he'd do little things like that just I guess to have some power or control and um, after that argument I left again but this time I went to go stay with his grandma who also lived in town um, because things at the time were not okay with my own family and um, one thing I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit is, uh, how people on the outside, a lot of times don't really seem to understand why people who are in abusive relationships don't just leave them. And oftentimes they tend to blame the victim in the situation. But I honestly believe that unless you have been a victim of abuse yourself, you don't really understand, like, all the things that go on. Um, you know, my my ex-husband was incredibly controlling. He, I couldn't leave the house if an outfit I wore he thought made me look too nice. Or I had too much makeup on or too much jewelry on. He didn't want me wearing perfume that I had worn for any other man ever in my life. He threw away my underwear because he didn't want me wearing underwear that I had ever worn for any other man before. And um, things like he didn't like long hair, so he wanted me to keep my hair short. And he hated when women wore flip-flops, so I wasn't even allowed to own flip-flops. Um, there was just there was a lot of, you know, like brainwashing and mental abuse and, and gaslighting. Oh, you, what you think happened wasn't really what happened or you're crazy and things like that. And, uh, you know, that's not even counting the times that I was physically restrained from being able to leave and walk away. Mm -hmm. um, and. Not only that, but um, statistically, when a woman leaves her abuser, um, that time, it becomes even more dangerous for them. About 77% of domestic violence homicides happen after the victim actually leaves their abuser. And there's also about a 75% increase in violence for up to two years after a victim leaves. And, you know, I just, <laughs> it's never as easy as people think as you know just being able to walk away yeah so um 
when I was about six months pregnant, um, one night I had gone to bed early because honestly, being that pregnant is exhausting. Mm-hmm. And my ex um, stayed up late that night because he liked to play video games. And, um, you know, it wasn't an uncommon thing for him to stay up late watching or playing video games. Um, so at some point in the middle of the night, probably past midnight, um, he came in and started groping me. And, you know, I, I told him that I'd been asleep. I was exhausted. I moved his hands off of me and I asked him, you know, please just let me sleep. I'm really tired. Um, he wouldn't stop groping me. And after several times of me, you know, asking him and removing his hand, he started getting more aggressive. And um, I told him, I'm getting frustrated. Please stop touching me. Um, and the more aggressive I became at asking him to stop, the even more aggressive he became. And so at one point, I slapped him to try to shock him into getting his hands off of me. And told him to stop. And at that point, he started screaming at me and um, told me he was done. He wanted nothing to do with me or the baby. Started spitting on me again. Told me he didn't want me in his bed. Uh, said, you know, like, oh, I own his pillows, his blankets. He started pulling everything away from me. Um, so then he started dumping water on me and on the bed because you know, I was trying to sleep. And he's like, well, if you're not going to get out of the bed, then I'm going to dump water on you and you're not going to want to sleep in a wet bed. So um, I got up, put my blankets into the dryer, went to get in the shower to wash the spit out of my hair and off my face. Um, he came and started banging on the bathroom door, screaming at me still. Um, he told me that he wanted to go to sleep. He was trying to go to sleep on the couch and that he couldn't sleep if the shower was going and if the dryer was going because it was too loud for him to be able to sleep. And um, when I didn't, you know, shut the shower off and immediately get out, he decided it would be funny to shut, you know, cut the breaker to the apartment. So all of a sudden, everything in the apartment went dark. And um, when I got out of the shower and opened the bathroom door, he was sitting in the middle of the hallway with a flashlight just grinning at me like this horrible, like wicked, evil grin and asked me, so did you have a nice shower? Um, my reply to him was something along the lines of saying, you know, it's not very smart of you to cut the lights on your wife in the shower, your pregnant wife in the shower. You know, what if I had slipped and fallen and hurt myself with a baby? And his response was to tell me that if I miscarried, that meant he wouldn't be tied to me for the next 18 years of his life. Um, so anyway, because he shut the power off, I couldn't dry my blankets or anything. And he was, you know, still angry and screaming. And 
told me that if I didn't go to bed, that he was going to piss on my stuff and um, just stood there and insulted me and threatened me. And it's just like in that moment when I looked at him, I couldn't even recognize the person that he was. Like it wasn't the person I had married. It wasn't the person who could at some times be kind and loving. It, it's like his eyes had gone dark and I don't know like how else to explain it, but it was just, it was, I don't know, just kind of a eye-opening moment for me that he could just turn into this evil person like, like that. Where were his kids all while all this was going on? Um, in their room, asleep, or I don't know if they were asleep 100% certainly, but they were in their room in the apartment with the door shut. Um, I mean, I would hope that they were asleep so they weren't hearing all of this go on, but um, I don't know that, you know. Was this the first time that he was um, sexually aggressive? Um, no. No, I, you know, there's things that I don't particularly like to talk about as far as that goes. Yeah. Um, No, I would say that I had been forced into doing things um, for him that I did not agree to do before that did Um, any time when you rejected his advances or anything did it usually end in a fight like this one did absolutely every time I could never tell him no for something um yeah so so after that particular instance um Eventually, like, he gave in, and he gave me a blanket, and he told me, oh, this should be big enough to cover your fat ass, and, you know, we both ended up going to bed. Um, The next morning, because we'd been up so late, and because of all the arguing and stuff, I woke up with just, you know, an excruciating headache, and um, my ex came into the bedroom, and he said, one of us has got to go. We, um, somebody's got to get off the lease and get out of here because, um, I can't stay with you. And I said, okay, well, right now I have a horrible, horrible headache. Can you give me some time to, you know, get some more rest and to hopefully have my head start feeling better before we start making any decision? And he flat out refused. So he you know, stood over me and said, you need to pack your stuff. (laughs) Not really that word, but, um, you know, and get, get out of here. So I said, fine. And I started to try to pack my stuff. Um, as he stood over me, screaming at me, telling me I was taking too long, that, you know, I just needed to throw some stuff in a bag and get out of there. Um, And that's when he started spitting on me again. I'm like, this is a common thread here that the spitting was a almost constant thing with every big argument we had. Um, But 
also worse than him spitting on me, he went into the kitchen and got some dirty dish water that had been sitting in the sink and had turned sour and started dumping it on me and my stuff. And so I already have like a super sensitive sense of smell to begin with and then add being pregnant on top of it. And I was like gagging and almost vomiting at this point. Um, I ran into the bathroom to hop in the shower to get, you know, the smelly dishwater and spit off of me. And um, I had locked the door, but he somehow picked the lock on the bathroom and came in and he grabbed the shower curtain, yanked down, smacked me with the shower curtain rod hard enough to leave a mark on my arm. And um, he was throwing more dishwater on me as I was in the shower. He then grabbed um, a can of Axe off the bathroom counter and started to spray me like directly in the face with a can of Axe and um, screaming at me the whole time. And I'm, I'm standing there pregnant naked scared in the shower just like absolutely humiliated trying to cover myself up and um you know he sat there telling me that he hoped that I would miscarry and that he would even pray for it and he said he didn't know if God would answer prayer like that and I looked at him and I said you know I don't think God would answer the prayers of someone who treated people the way that you do and then he flipped out and started screaming that God wouldn't answer my prayers either because I was a slut and a slew of other disgusting, degrading things. Um, he then told me he wasn't going to let me off the lease, but he was going to destroy the whole par- apartment and leave me partially responsible. So, you know, I'm still standing here in the shower and um, I just you know, I was trying to block out all the crap that he was screaming at me, grabbed a towel, you know, got dressed as quickly as I could. And, you know, at this point, so his kids were in their bedroom. This was in the morning. He had them staying in their rooms, trying to, you know, I guess block them from whatever was going on, but it was a small apartment. I'm sure they could hear plenty of it anyway. Um, But, you know, I popped in to tell them goodbye and to tell them to be safe because their dad was behaving completely psychotic and I was scared for them. So he was angry that I even dared to go talk to his children. So he went and grabbed a knife from the kitchen and came at me with a knife, threatening me. Um, And I just, I was in complete shock because he had never, like come at me with a weapon before and you know so I just kind of backed away from him grabbed my shoes from the living room and took off out the door um and you know per the norm of the last several fights that we'd had I'd started walking towards the police department and um you know he guessing where I would have been heading um loaded his kids up in the car and followed me um At one point, he parked his car on the side of the road, got out, and started following me on foot and, um, you know, telling me he was going to lose his kids if I turned him in. 
so his oldest daughter had allegedly been abused by her stepfather when she was two years old. And um, she'd been spanked and had a bruise left on her bottom. And according to him, that came from the stepfather, though I don't think, you know, there was ever an arrest made or anything. But, um, you know, he told me that if I turned him in, she was going to go to her mom. And if she ended up being abused by her stepdad, then it was going to be my fault. And, you know, I told him that the situation and what she was witnessing was not, you know, any better than the situation at her mom. And I needed to do what I could to protect myself, to protect my unborn baby, and to protect, you know, those kids, even though they weren't mine. Um, so again, like he continued to follow me until I got to the, um, the parking lot of the police station. And, um, that time when the police took my statement, they, um, took pictures, they came to the apartment, they took pictures of the apartment, um, and they arrested my ex because this had happened, you know, over a span of the night before and that day and it was within their 24 hours so he was arrested um he spent a grand total of one night in jail before his parents were able to bail him out um and this time you know i wasn't standing by him when he got when he had his court hearing, so he was convicted of domestic violence at that point, but um, they deferred his sentence. I don't even remember like what exactly his sentence would have been, but they deferred it for a year and told him basically, keep your nose clean, don't get pulled over, you don't, you know, have any more issues within the next year, and the sentence basically goes away. So, um, you know, it's just continual little slap on the wrist every time he got caught for something he's got to be the and... luckiest dude i've ever heard of <laughs> that can continue to no abuse kidding. his wife and gets away with it yep well and and the really sad thing is is that i will say i wasn't his first victim and i guarantee you i wasn't his last and he still you know has never spent more than one night in jail so I don't know how you didn't um, set on fire at this point. Like <laughs> all of this stuff that you're saying sounds like it's out of like a lifetime movie or something that's been like dramatized for TV, you know? But you actually lived it. Yeah. yeah. And and honestly, like looking back at it, it's just I, you know, I, I feel lucky and happy to be out of the situation now. And I just, like, I don't know how long, you know, how I was able to last as long as I did. And, you know, I feel lucky that I wasn't a statistic where I ended up, you know, being murdered by my ex-husband and, you know, because of a domestic dispute and, um, cause you know, that's, that happens all too frequently. And I think abusers get away with things way more than people realize. Um, so now I I want to know, he told you that his 
kids would be in a worse situation if they were with their moms and step parents. Knowing what kind of person he is and his character, do you think that it was a worse situation? Like, you know how guys would be like, oh, yeah, my ex was so crazy, blah, blah, blah. But then we find out that they're actually the crazy one and their ex was probably pretty normal. <laughs> do you feel like it yeah. could have been that situation where his exes were also victims and then he spun it around so that they were crazy? Um, absolutely. I mean, I do know at least one of them did have some, you know, some domestic violence issues going on with her relationship. And, um, so I don't know if it would have necessarily been better, um, for his daughter to go back there, but it certainly wasn't a worse situation. Um, and then his other child's parents, um, she, I guess, like me, struggled a lot with self-esteem issues, and she, um, she had more mental problems probably than I did, and she got taken advantage of and walked all over, and, and she and I actually talk, even now, you know, 14 years later, um, we still talk about things every once in a while together so yeah it was definitely uh he painted the picture that his exes were the problem and that you know he he didn't recognize in himself that he was a problem sounds about right sounds about on brand for narcissists and abusers yeah when you look back at all the stuff that you went through and you survived, how do you feel about yourself? Do you feel like a complete badass? Do you feel uh, <laughs> like some resounding trauma? Like, um, I wouldn't say that I feel like a badass. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, like, what was wrong with me? <laughs> um, I... I definitely would say that, you know, I've never been diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure that I have some PTSD from all of it. And, um, you know, I just, I do think it's made me a stronger person. I do think that, you know, afterwards, when I was finally able to get out, I recognized more signs of you know, abusers or narcissists or whatever. And I was, um, I was able to steer clear of those type of people. Yeah. Um, it just sucks that that's how you had to learn was like the hard way, you know, you had to learn what narcissists do and what they say and their, their tell signs and stuff in a completely traumatizing way. (laughs) yeah well it did I mean there was a couple of guys that I had gone on like maybe a date or two after my divorce that you know we had a conversation and like a red flag just went blaring through my head and I was like okay I'm not gonna not gonna go out with this guy again right (laughs) run the other direction and you know whereas before I guess I didn't really recognize those kind of signs and things. So, 
So after you uh, went to the police station, where did you go from there? So um, I called my parents because I, you know, didn't really have another place to go. And um, at this point I was, you know, six months pregnant. And so I moved back home with my parents and my mom. Um, my relationship with her at that point was extremely strained. Uh, she was mad from day one when I told her that I was pregnant. Um, I remember the phone conversation we had. She told me, I wish I could be happy for you. And (laughs) yeah. Um, So, you know, she, she definitely put a lot, if not most of the blame of the whole situation onto me. And um, she was really pushing for me to what she called considering my, what, you know, considering my options and wanted me to go do this um, counseling through our church and um, but the main goal of this counselor was to help set up adoptions and so at that point my mom had told me that you know no matter what my decision was she was going to support me so I went to all the counseling sessions. I read all the pamphlets. I watched all the videos. I did everything she wanted me to do. Um, but in the end, like the decision really wasn't entirely up to me to make because in Nevada, um, legally, the dads have to sign up or sign off on the adoption as well. Um, I know in other states like Utah, the mom can give a child up for adoption without the dad's knowledge or permission. But in Nevada, that is not the case. Um, And I knew that if I decided to pursue that, my ex would say, well, if you're going to give him up for adoption, you're going to give him to me because I'm not giving him up for adoption. And my mom didn't see it that way. She thought, you know, we would be able to convince him. And I just, like, she didn't know him like I knew him. Um, and it turned out, you know, when she told me that she was going to support me no matter what, she didn't really mean it. She was only going to support me if I chose to do what she thought I needed to do, which was give my son up for adoption. Um, so when it came out that I wasn't going to go along with that she was furious um she basically like trying to discourage me from buying anything for the baby you know doing anything that would you know um be seen as a decision that I was keeping the baby and there was some women from our church who wanted to throw me a baby shower. And my mom was like super angry about that. And I still to this day, like I just, it breaks my heart. But these ladies, they were so kind and loving. And, you know, as a single mom who had no job, living with her parents, and they bought me basically everything I needed for the baby because I had nothing at that point and it just you know for them to do all this for me when my own mother was you know refusing to even acknowledge that I was about to have a baby basically was just it was 
heartbreaking. Um, so, so you said that um, that these were ladies from the church. So was your mom also active in the church? Yes. Okay. So mm -hmm. she's a God-fearing woman who puts the blame of being pregnant on you. Mm -hmm. Doesn't want you to keep the baby. Isn't supportive yep. about the fact that you're a domestic violence survivor. And doesn't even try to hear really your side about all the stuff that you went through. How does that happen? How do you, you know, like knowing the Bible and knowing what God calls on each and every one of us to do and the kind of person that we're supposed to be, how do you then turn your back on your child that way? Um, so my mom basically <laughs> my whole life, and it's not just with me, um, she kind of has one of those controlling personalities where she wants people think to do things the way she thinks they need to be done. Because if you don't do it that way, then you're wrong. And so, however, she interprets, you know, the scriptures or whatever the church says, um, basically her way or the highway. And um, so I, I, her and I have never had a great relationship. I mean, it's, it's okay now, but as far as back then, I mean, this was par for the course. Um, nobody can have a differing opinion from her so okay so she's pretty strong-willed yes <laughs> so did you go so, through with um keeping your baby so um when i went into labor <laughs> my mom was still like berating me while i was legitimately in labor you know, telling me I needed to give the baby up for adoption. And she was getting to the point where she was really upsetting me. I mean, you're obviously going through a lot of hormones and emotions in that point. And I, I had to ask her to leave the hospital. I had to ask her to leave because she was upsetting me. And, you know, I was like, well, I'd rather do this completely alone than have to deal with this. Um, you know, it was hard enough going through labor, you know, without you you want to have your spouse there with you, the father of your child, you know, with you through that. But, you know, clearly that wasn't an option for me. Um, and, you know, so the next best thing is having your mom there, but she was making it to where I was like literally in distress. <laughs> so um, after she left, she finally calmed down a little bit um enough for me to say okay you can come back in um and she was there when my son was born but um as soon as he was born like he was struggling to breathe they still you know I don't even understand exactly why or what was going on when he was born but um they took him away to the NICU and my mom you know kept telling me that that was a sign from God that I was supposed to give my son up for adoption because I couldn't even keep him with me. He had to go to the NICU. Um, however, when I would go to visit him in the NICU, the nurses kept telling me, oh my gosh, he just screams and he cries and he's so grumpy when you're not here and he refuses to take a bottle. 
But as soon as I picked him up and would nurse him, he would just settle right down. You know, he knew who his mom was. And to me, you know, that was a bigger sign Mm -hmm. that, you know, he was supposed to be with his mom. Yeah, he needed you. um, Yeah. So um, when we came home from the hospital, my mom just, you know, she became increasingly more distant and hostile with me. I think the whole time that I was there when my son was, after my son was born, she held him one time. And um, when I ran out of the tiny amount of money I had that I had saved up um, before I had left my ex, um, I had to ask her if she could buy me pads because I had just, you know, given birth to a baby. And she acted like, I was asking to chop her arm off or something. She was angry at me, you know, and it almost bordered on like denying a basic human need at that point. She was just, um, you know, she told me, well, you're going to have to pay us back for all this stuff that we're doing for you. And um, like the instant I came home from the hospital, she started hounding me about finding a job. Um, and, you know, she'd come home from work and she'd be upset and angry that I didn't have dinner ready, but she hadn't asked me to do anything. And I'm like, I'm not a mind reader. Um, you know, I, I'm at home trying to adjust to being a mom to a newborn. You know, this is, this is all new for me. It's not like I'm, you know, sitting on my butt doing nothing all day. Mm-hmm. But, um, So the whole time I was there, I was uh, job hunting and doing stuff online. And I actually started working when my son was about four weeks old. So for those of you who've had a baby, you know that at four weeks, (laughs) your body hasn't healed, you know, and it was tough physically and mentally on me where I was working they didn't have a room you know for a nursing mom to pump so I sat in a bathroom stall and I had to pump my hand because my body would not respond to a pump and I couldn't pump enough milk for my son to eat with a pump so um you know that was a huge struggle for me it was very important to me to be able to nurse my son and um it was it was exhausting and frustrating and my mom's attitude just continued to get worse we had a disagreement one day and I told her I said mom I I try to avoid you when I know you're coming home I go up to my room with the baby and I try you know to avoid being around you because it's such a negative environment and my mom threw up or threw back in my face and said well I'm avoiding you and um she just she was just so angry all the time and um I don't know what happened what my final breaking point with her was but we had a, a fight about something and I'm just I can't take it anymore I mean at that point I had a a TPO 
a temporary protective order against my ex-husband, but um, I called his mom and I asked her to come pick me up and we had a big long talk, him and I. Um, I had the TPO against him dissolved and um, we moved back in together, which, you know, I see like people are like, oh my gosh, you're so stupid. Why would you do that? But I, I just felt like I had no better options at that point. It was, um, it was horrible, no matter what situation I was in at that point. Well, that really paints a picture for how intense and negative things would have had to have been at your mom's house for you to think that he was the better option. Yeah, for sure. You know, and and part of it too was, you know, the, the forcing me to go in and to work when my son was only four weeks old and, you know, I didn't have another option and it was just, it was a heartbreaking situation. So, um, so after I had moved back in with my ex, things started to get it better, you know, the cycle again, um, and it didn't take very long for things to turn ugly. And while at that point he wasn't getting physical with me, um, for the most part, the psychological and emotional abuse from him, um, it was just brutal to say the least. And at this point, you know, we had a baby, so he started to use our child, um, as leverage against me. Um, we get into an argument and he tell me I could leave, but that I couldn't take our son. Or, you know, that if I did leave, he would get custody of our son. And um, one argument that we had had, I was like, all right, I'm leaving. I buckled our son into the infant carrier and was getting ready to leave. And my ex ran in, grabbed the car seat, put him into the car and tried to back out of the garage with him. And I... um. I was just freaking out because at the time, you know, I'm a nursing mom and he's taking my infant son away and I didn't know where he was going. He wasn't a safe person for my son to be with, you know, when, especially when he was angry. And so I stood behind the car to prevent him from, you know, leaving with my child in the car. Um, he rolled down the window, started screaming at me to move or that he was going to run me over. Um, the neighbors actually witnessed this incident and they called the cops on us. So when they arrived, the police actually told me off for standing behind the car. They're like, you can't do that. You can't block him from leaving. And I tried to explain, you know, he's has a history of domestic violence. He's taking my infant son who is nursing and um, it didn't matter Um, because we were married legally. He had every right to take him wherever he wanted to. And um, so there wasn't a police report filed at that time. Um, There weren't any charges or anything, but, you know, it, it still followed the same pattern that it usually did um after things calmed down my ex just kind of 
refused to acknowledge that anything happened or that he did anything wrong. Um, when my son was about 10 or 11 months old, I started working part-time. Um, I started trying to make a plan to leave my ex because at this point, like the, the emotional and mental abuse had gotten just so flipping bad. And I didn't want my son growing up thinking that it was okay to treat women like that. Okay. To treat his mom like that. Um, I didn't want him growing up in such an unhealthy and toxic environment. So I tried to stash away like what little money I was making um, so I could have something <laughs> to leave with. But uh, it was it was impossible to save any money away because his dad had a huge problem with spending money the instant it hit his pocket. Um, he didn't have a bank account. So if he had a paycheck, he would cash it and it would be gone. Um, he wouldn't set money aside for rent, for electricity, for phone bills, for food. Um, and, you know, because he spent his money, like, as soon as it hit his pocket, we had to rely on assistance from our church, from government programs, from his parents um, to help pay the bills. And, uh, you know, so what little money I was making went towards groceries um, and things that the kids needed. Uh, one of the one of the things I spent money on, um, my son needed a coat that winter. And so I took $20 of the money I'd earned and I went to Walmart and I bought him a coat and my ex blew up at me. How dare I spend money without talking to him first? Um, and I just, you know, I didn't think I needed to ask permission to buy our son a winter coat. And, you know, it, it caused a huge blowout fight between us. And I just, you know, was floored. It's not like I went and spent $20 on gambling or something ridiculous for myself. Um, but like during this time period, he wouldn't even let me stay at home with access to a phone. We had a computer and he had it password blocked so I couldn't get on there to talk to anybody when he wasn't there. Um, so I was like basically cut off from the entire outside world at that point. And um, so it was getting close to our son's first birthday and we literally had no money. Um, on the day of his birthday, I went to try to go sell my plasma so that I could have some money to buy something for my son as a present for his first birthday. And I went in, I filled out all the paperwork and they said, oh, we have to weigh you. You need to step on the scale. And I stepped on the scale and they told me, I'm sorry, we can't let you sell plasma because you don't weigh enough. And I just was completely devastated. I left falling because this was my last resort to get any sort of money to buy my son a birthday present. And um, so I went home just completely deflated. Um, 
I went into our pantry and tried to scrounge up enough ingredients to make some cupcakes because I thought, okay, well, if I can't buy him anything, I can at least make him a cupcake and, you know, let him know how special he is to me. So we had a very, very limited food supply in the house at that time. And um, I scrounged around everything I could. It was barely enough to make um, a batch of cupcakes. And as I was trying to make the cupcakes and get dinner going, I asked my ex-husband for help with the kids, um, you know, getting him dinner, getting him settled. And he was sitting playing video games and couldn't be bothered to help me. So, um, you know, I was mad and I tried to explain, you know, my frustration to him. And he snapped at me, started screaming. Um, at the time that we were having this argument, I was standing in the kitchen with a fork in my hand because I was making dinner. And um, he walked into the kitchen, took the cupcakes that I had made off the stove and smashed them into the floor in the kitchen. Um, we did not have ingredients to make another batch of cupca cupcakes. And, you know, if even if I'd wanted to, like the ingredients weren't there. So I just, you know, being told that I couldn't donate or sell my plasma and not being able to buy my son a present. And then the one thing I was able to do for him was smashed and ruined on the kitchen floor and I lost it. Um, I slapped my ex-husband and told him that he had gone too far, that I was taking our son and that I was leaving. He could mess with me, but as soon as he did something to negatively impact our son, I was done. Um, I wasn't going to let him do this anymore. And I called my dad to come get me. My ex at that point told me, you know, that he wasn't going to let me leave with our son. And um, he said, I'm going to call the cops. I'm going to tell them you slapped me and that you threatened me with a fork. And I said, go right ahead. But I'm not leaving without my son. So he called the police. Um, they got there before my dad did. They, you know, kind of separated us and tried to take statements from both of us. Um, I admitted that I slapped my ex because, you know, he had destroyed the cupcakes that I had made for our son's birthday. Um, I told him I didn't threaten him with a fork. You know, we were having an argument and I was cooking dinner. I had a fork in my hand, but I guarantee you I didn't threaten him with it. Um, and, you know, at that point, the police said, well, he doesn't have a mark on him, so we're not going to press any charges. Um, and they kind of talked to him and talked him into okaying for me to leave with my son at that point. And um, so I, I packed him up, packed up most of his stuff and left with my dad when my dad arrived. So at this point, um, my parents were divorced. They had gotten divorced when my son was about six months old. So um, I went to go live with my dad at that point. My mom was living um, on her own with three of my siblings. Um, so it was just my dad and I and my son. 
And about a week or so after I left, um, my son had a doctor's appointment and my ex wanted to attend. You know, he had legal right to be able to go. So um, I had gotten a ride to the appointment from a family friend. My dad was um, at work and I didn't have a car of my own. So um, after that appointment, my ex offered to drive us home. And I was a little wary, but I figured, you know, we're being civil. It should be okay. Um, So as soon as he started driving out of the parking garage, he started going in the wrong direction. And I was like, oh, hey, you know, um, you took a wrong turn here. I'm my house is over this way. And. I said, you know, I just want you to take me home. Well, he goes, I just want to talk. And I, you know, at this point, I'm like, okay, this is this is not okay. He's he's taking me somewhere I don't want to go in the wrong direction. And um, I said, I don't want to do that. Can you please take me home? And he refused and took us back to the townhouse that we had been living in before I left. Um, he tried to get me to stay and talk to him at that point, but I told him, you know, there's nothing to talk about. And luckily, at that point, I had my own cell phone and I was able to call for my dad to come pick me up and take us home. Um, But it was like a frightening situation where, you know, flashbacks to, oh, crap, you know, now I'm stuck again. But um, so when we had filed for divorce, which is right after I had left, um, it was actually fairly amicable. We were able to do it ourselves. Um, We had an agreement. Things are fairly painless. Um, He did, like, when we went to go turn in the the divorce paperwork, he asked me if that's what I wanted. And he started crying, which I had never seen him cry before. And I was like, yeah, this, this is what I want. And so we turned you know, the, the divorce papers in and our divorce is actually finalized on Valentine's day of that year, which I thought was pretty ironic. Um, but you know, while living with my dad, I was able to get, um, a full-time job that was a good stable job. Um, I purchased my own car. I found a daycare situation for my son that was, um, you know, a great place for him to be. Things started really looking up. Like I left, when I left, I had nothing. I had no job. I had no money, had no car, um, had, it was terrifying, but things just kind of happened to fall into place really quickly. And, um, you know, it just gave me hope that things would be okay. And, and I'd like to say that after, you know, that, we turned in our divorce papers. Like I never looked back at that point. There was never a time where I was like thinking that I would end up back in that situation again. Um, and it was actually a few months after my divorce that I met my current husband. Um, we kind of took it slow at first. <laughs> when uh, we first met, he overheard me telling some other guy that I wasn't ready to date yet and it was my way of like politely telling this guy that I wasn't interested in dating him (laughs) Hmm. 
but because my um now husband overheard this conversation he you know stepped back and gave me some some time and space before asking me out but um anyway my relationship with him has been night and day different and you know we have been married for almost 12 years now and we have um five children together and things are just really amazing i mean we still have disagreements but they're not ever like the disagreements were with my ex-husband you know we can actually sit down and talk about things and um you know there's never any screaming matches or emotional abuse and you know like he trusts me my ex-husband used to throw in my face all the time that he thought I was cheating on him and um my husband now doesn't say anything like that you know he doesn't try to control me or block me from talking to people none of that and it's just I guess when you have lived through such a crappy situation um that you appreciate <laughs> the small things a lot lot more mm-hmm. um but you know since we have a son together I still have to deal with my ex on the regular um we still kind of have issues every now and again with like lack of communication and cooperation um We've had to go back to court a few different times. Um, right now, I have full custody of our son, and his dad has some pretty limited visitation because when my son was younger, he witnessed his dad abusing the girlfriend he had after me. And, um, you know, I tried to keep all the communication with his dad very limited. Not only dealing with our son because it's just not worth the frustration. Um, I try to keep it all in like a text or an email so I have proof of our conversations. Um, there was a time a couple years ago where my ex tried to make accusations about me and about my husband. Um, stressful situation. But um, we were able to, you know, go to court and clear things up and show that his accusations were completely unfounded. And some of them were just downright lies that we had actual proof, you know, that they were lies. But, you know, he, he still is, you know, kind of a, a background noise back there always. That's. That's so much to process. So, does your mom have a relationship with your son? Um, she does. So, my mom lives out of state, and I talk to her on the phone probably once every couple of weeks. And things are just, um, we don't get super in depth into conversations about things, but they're, you know, normal conversations and she asked about the kids and she loves my son she loves all of her grandkids um we've never really talked about her wanting to give 
you know, her wanting me to give him up for adoption, like, since all of that went down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> no, they they have a good relationship. And, I, of course, I haven't told my son about any of that either because I know that that would not, you know, be helpful in any way whatsoever. Yeah, I wouldn't do him any favors. But, yeah. So he, you know, he knows nothing about that and hopefully we'll never know anything about that. But yeah. no, things are fine. And, you know, she treats him just the same as any of her other, her other grandkids. So there isn't any like residual resentment there or anything. <clears throat> it sounds like your dad was a lot more support supportive, though, when you needed him. Yes. So after my parents got divorced and I say. My parents had a toxic relationship together, and they really did. And they're both better (laughs) apart from each other than they ever were together. They both have, you know, their own issues and whatever, but my dad really did step up um, and and was there for me when when no one else was. And, And I know that, you know, if he hadn't been there for me that last time that I left, I... I don't know what would have happened. I probably wouldn't be alive. <laughs> so, <Yeah. clears throat> What would you say to somebody who um, is in your old situation where they're isolated, they don't really have any contact with the outside world, and they're just kind of feeling stuck? Um, I would tell them that there is always hope. And... That there's always someone out there who can help. And, you know, if they're feeling isolated, they're feeling like they're pushed away from their friends or their family, they they should try to reach out to someone. Um, you know, whether it's their best friend, whether it's their parents, whether it's someone that they're not even close to but can help them there's always someone out there who's willing to help and no one deserves to be in that sort of situation. And, um, just abusers want their victims to believe that they are not worth fighting for, I guess. Um, but that is absolutely not true at all. And, um, a lot of the times when the victims feel so isolated, there are still people there, um, you know, just waiting off to the side because they've been pushed away. But some people you can't push away completely. Mm-hmm. How many times did you leave total before you were able to finally get out? Out. Um. <laughs> Oh, goodness. I don't even know. Um, I want to say probably at least three or four times, you know, more than like a night or two. There was a lot more times that were less than that. But it took, I don't know. A lot of times leaving before the last time where I finally didn't look back. Did your parents ever find out about your cutting as a kid? Um, 
They did. Uh, so it was one of the things that my ex-husband had kind of brought up when we were going to court over some things. He tried to, like, throw it in my face, I guess, by telling my parents about it. But at that point, like, I I hadn't cut myself for a long time. And my parents just kind of, like, rolled their eyes because I guess they didn't realize how bad it was. I don't think, like anybody really realized how bad it had been but I mean even now many 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 years later I have scars that are horrendous up and down my arms and it's embarrassing to me like when I was pregnant going to get blood drawn and things I kind of was like oh please don't ask me about these (laughs) but you know especially at this point because I'm in such a healthy place I don't want people to look at me and judge me which, you know, I guess is the wrong attitude. I should be just happy that I'm helping now and to just let that stuff from the past go. Why did you use to cut yourself? What did it do for you? Um, honestly, it, it would happen when I was in such a horrible state of mind like hurting so badly inside my head it was like a way to release that pain like um in a physical way I guess Mm. it it's really hard to explain because it doesn't make a lot of sense for for people who haven't been in that situation But it, I don't know, like it was just a way to like show, oh, like I am alive and there's physical pain here and it's not just all the pain in my head. Um, Would you know. say it's similar to maybe people who use alcohol to cope as like a way of numbing it or taking their mind um, off of a particular pain? Yeah, I would say it's probably pretty similar to that. It's, uh, it's, I don't want to say interesting as like, I feel like that's morbid, but it's intriguing to me that when somebody is in a lot of mental pain or emotional pain, that physical pain would be the easier pain to deal with. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like yeah, that you'd be hurting so bad inside that taking an actual blade to your skin seems more appealing than having to deal with what's going on inside. Yeah. Well, I'd say definitely when you are at that point mentally, you are not in a good state of mind, you know, just as if, um, you know, somebody who is suicidal, um, you're, your brain is not functioning at a normal level at that point. Mm -hmm. So is your husband now empathetic to some of your triggers and things, knowing your, your past relationship? Oh yeah. He is very, no, he's one of the ones who is like, yeah, you probably do have PTSD. (laughs) And, uh, you know, when I did eventually go um, to talk to my doctor about wanting to get on some medication for my anxiety, he mm-hmm. was very, very supportive of that. So good, good. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share? 
Um, I don't think so. I mean, probably have like the longest <laughs> podcast here in the world. And the sad thing is, is this is like a very shortened version of it. Yeah, it it's definitely one of the more intense episodes. Um, I'm gonna have to definitely label it with some trigger warnings and stuff because have you seen the show Made? On Netflix? Um, I, I don't think so. Okay. Um, so if you ever get a mommy minute where you're alone and you don't have to share the TV with anyone, <laughs> um, <laughs> you should watch Made because I feel like you'd be able to relate a lot to um, basically when people don't understand why you don't just leave. And it really puts yeah. into perspective like the isolation and then especially when you're not um, standing on your own two feet financially, that makes it even harder. Yep. Like you can just leave and go off and start a new life on hopes and dreams. And yeah. think that it's going to pay your bills and things like it makes it really hard to leave. By the time you're to a point where you're like, I've got to get out. This is not good for me. You've already been so dependent and taught how to rely on one specific person that it's hard to leave yep i know that there are like resources and things out there for victims of domestic violence and like shelters and hotlines and all these things but i mean that information is not always accessible or you know the thought of oh i'm gonna go stay in a homeless shelter with my newborn baby <laughs> like right can't be the best option yeah in that show she actually goes to stay at a shelter and the woman who runs the shelter says i feel like i'm gonna make up this statistic but she says something like um women who leave typically leave seven to nine times or something before they actually leave for good yeah i and that, believe it that is uh, yeah it's like such a crazy statistic but also absolutely believable yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, like I, I can remember like three or four significant times of leaving and, you know, I'm sure that there were, there were more that were, I tried to leave or I left for a night or, you know, things like that. The part I keep replaying in my head, as you said, a messing with me is one thing. But when it starts yeah. negatively impacting my son, that's where I'm done. Yeah. And I can absolutely relate to that. Like, I I don't think I would have been hit as hard with that statement before I had a son. But when you become a parent, it all makes sense. Yep. And I honestly believe that having my son though it wasn't an ideal situation he saved my life because I don't know that just on my own I would have been strong enough to leave but having you know someone else who is 100% dependent on me was enough to say that's it I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm gone.
found something in Elizabeth's story that stays with you. Women all over the world deal with these kinds of dangerous situations daily, and it's important that you and I bring awareness and strength to women who need to get out. Just like Elizabeth said, there is hope. If you're in a situation where you're in danger, please call 911. Or if you need guidance, please consider calling the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.